0: Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before we dive into this week's episode, do me a favor and stop by and visit GiversEdge.com. There are only a few gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and they were all sourced by The Ruling Group, who you can find at GiversEdge.com. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by my great friend, And author Marcus Sheridan. Now, Marcus has been covered in the New York Times, a number of different publications. He's kind of the quintessential case study when it comes to successful content marketing. And his latest book, They Ask, You Answer, is just an amazing read. We'll talk about the biggest mistakes that businesses make when it comes to content marketing, the top five things that move the needle and actually will capture and build trust for your ideal clients and then the specific things you can do with your team to focus on the right information to grow your business. I'm telling you, Marcus and I have spoken at dozens of events together, and I'm captivated every time he speaks. You're going to love my discussion with the They Ask, You Answer author, Marcus Sheridan.
1: My good friend Marcus Sheridan, welcome back to the show. Oh, what a pleasure, my friend. I'm excited. Whenever we get together, I'm excited. Now we have... Um we have the opportunity to say hopefully something that will be of value to your audience, so yeah, i don 't want to say
0: expectation's too high that the that the audience <laughs> is going to get value just because they have in the past as as the financial advisors say, past performance not indicative of future returns <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, indeed so i
0: mean we, we we have the good fortune of speaking at a lot of events together and um, and working with a lot of mutual clients. I want to talk about this concept that that you talk about and they ask you answer of content marketing and first thinking of it as what are the biggest mistakes that you see businesses make when it comes to how they think about their customers
1: and content marketing? So there is there is a lot, right? I think number one is if you go the the idea, Ian, is that content becomes a culture. And When we use words like content marketing, it's tough that it becomes a culture because you've never had a CEO wake up one morning and say, I want us to be the best content marketers in the world. No sales manager says that. And so the way that we define content marketing, even the way that we talk about it, Uh, is really, really important. If you read a definition online, it's going to be pretty technical. It's going to be very marketing centric. But I think we've got to change that if we want to have successful cultures of content within the organization. So I would define content marketing as your company's ability to be the best and most helpful teacher in the world at what you do. Okay. Best, most helpful teacher in the world at what you do. Now, if you go to a sales manager, and you say, is being a great teacher and being helpful to your prospects and to your clients, is that critical to your success? They're going to say yes. If you say, is that going to be critical in 20 years? They're going to say yes. If you ask somebody, is content marketing going to be critical in 20 years? They might say, oh, I have no idea. I, I mean, is it just a fad? Is it just a thing? So I think this is the first major mistake. The second major mistake is that it's a very marketing-centric department That is, handling the content, it needs to be company-wide because, frankly, your subject matter experts, generally speaking, it's your sales team. And now, sometimes that changes across the board with the organization, but generally speaking, it's the sales team. They're the one that is hearing the questions. They're the ones that are resolving the concerns. They are the ones that have their fingers on the pulse of prospects and clients and customers. But yet, usually, they're not involved. This is a big, big problem. They have to be involved if you're going to be ultra successful. And this includes text and video. They've got to be involved. That's a major problem. Then I'd say the third major problem is that too many companies focus on fluff when it comes to their content. So fluff is stuff that might be nice, Ian, but it's not a very sales centric question. And if you do content marketing the right way, you start at the bottom of the funnel and you work your way out. You don't, stop, you don't start at the top and work your way down. Let me give you an example of this real quick. So everybody knows I used to be a pool guy, right? And I still own a swimming pool company. I'm just a silent partner. But a fluffy piece of content would be if I wrote an article or did a video that said, five fun games to play in your swimming pool. <laughs> so it's like, What the heck? But that's the type of stuff that you see online. So somebody that reads that, do I know that they want a pool? No, not at all. In fact, they could be having a party at the YMCA pool for their kid this Saturday, right? They might never want to get a pool. And so I want to focus on swimming pool buyer-based questions early on, like how much does a fiberglass pool cost? Uh, That's an example of somebody that clearly is looking for – they know what they want – and They are looking to spend money, and so I think that 's the third big mistake so, so let me so let me just jump in because I want to make sure that we
0: recap this so as people are as people are driving or thinking through this. so the first one is this idea of not seeing content marketing as a culture, and so what happens is people think of it as a tactic rather than how do we become the best and most helpful teachers in the world at what you do? The second one is that it tends to be oh. This content marketing stuff, oh, it uses the term marketing, so we're going to give it to the marketing department. They're going to work in isolation from customer interaction, and then we're going to assume that they're going to understand how to convey these messages that are important to our customers without actually having anyone who has direct customer contact involved. And the third is this idea of focusing on fluff instead of the things that actually move the needle and are important to customers.
1: It's pretty good, Ian. It's almost like it's almost like you've heard me talk about this before.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'm a quick study. So, yeah. um, but you know, I just I, I always want to make sure. And by the way, as you do on 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 your podcast, I always like to make sure that people are following along and getting the key points as we go along, so that we're not missing anything important there. So, so we 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 know that side of it. That those are the big mistakes that people make. And I think that also what happens is organizations think of the sales process from their own perspective. So what they do is they, they say to themselves, oh, yeah, well, we have five stages that we go through with our customers. Yeah. And first, they're a suspect, and then they become a prospect, and then we identify the project, and And they have all these linear steps. But you and I both know that our customers have no clue what those steps are, and they don't follow a linear process <laughs> at all. <laughs> So so what what have you discovered in working with so many different organizations about what types of questions customers might be asking? I mean, the book is They Ask, You Answer. Yeah. And your message is, is all about this idea of if your customers are asking this question, if you don't answer it, someone else will. Yeah, well, that's right, Ian.
1: And the thing about it is a question could be something as simple as saying, I don't like this about the buying process. It drives me crazy. And then the company reacting to that by initiating a change in their sales process. So it's not just a straight, um, they asked a question, so let's put up a blog post or let's put up a video answering that question. Let me give you an example of this. So like uh, CarMax revolutionized The used car industry in many many ways, and they're the largest retailer of used cars today in the world. In the world, and they did something that most companies never do. They said this is almost twenty years ago. They said our industry is messed up. Nobody trusts us. So is it possible to win the trust back? So well, why don't they trust us? Number one, most people believe it or not don't like to haggle. They don't like it. And we keep hearing from people when we do these surveys, they don't like the car buying experience because of the haggle. So then the question became, can we get rid of the haggle experience? Which is why CarMax did two essential things. They were the first major used car company to have set pricing with the vehicles, and they had set commissions with the sales team. So in other words, whether you sold a vehicle that was $20,000 or $40,000, you got the same commission. And so that's an example of the ask you answer. It was a need, it was a want and the company took action. Now, the thing about it is Ian consumers and buyers they want to know the very they want to know specific things. And what's crazy is oftentimes it's these very specific things they want to know that the businesses don't want to address. So give us some examples. Yeah, simple examples. So everybody wants to know about money, about cost, or let's say it's a potential employee because a lot of our clients, they'll set up a they ask you answer section of their website for potential recruits because this is an amazing recruiting tool for potential team members, right? Um, So another one is salary. Very, very common question potential recruits want to know is how much does the job pay? And so many companies, oh, still to this day, you know I've been talking about this for six years. <laughs> to this day, over 90% of all organizations and businesses do not address, especially on the B2B side, they don't address pricing. Now, keep in mind, when I say address pricing, it doesn't mean that you put a price list on your website. What it means is you're willing to address the thing. Explain the marketplace. What drives it up? What drives it down? Why are some companies so cheap? Why are some so expensive? Well, and and in Mm -hmm. fact, Marcus, I
0: want want to touch on this because this is something that I guarantee there are listeners right now who are saying to themselves, well, I couldn't possibly discuss price on our website because, see, when it comes to our clients – and then you always give your favorite two words, it depends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we couldn't possibly yeah. talk about price on our website because it depends. And what do we tell those people? What should, what should they be thinking about?
1: So the first – I think the first thought to that is, well, when they call you and they're talking to you and they ask that question, what do you say then? And they say, well, I'm going to ask them a set of questions. I'm like, okay, what's the set of questions you're going to ask? You see, we, we, we separate for some reason, Ian, that verbal face-to-face or phone-to-phone conversation that we have with prospects and customers and clients from the digital. But we know at this point, all the studies have said the same thing, that roughly, roughly 70% of the buying decision, B2B and B2C, is made before someone talks to the company talks to the salesperson. Does this mean it's the death of sales? Of course not. It just means that the way we sell has to change, and the way the sales team gets involved it has to change as well. They've got to get involved sooner in the process. And the only way they can do that is by answering the very sales-based questions that they get all the time on the front end. That's the digital side. That's the social side. That's on the website. They need to be willing to do that. And if they do that, we just might win enough trust that they call us in the first place versus going somewhere else where they can get the answer. And I want to make sure that people
0: capture that, which is, this is all about building trust online. And Marcus, you're a master of teaching this concept, which is, look, if your customers, if if the first four or five questions they have get addressed concisely, clearly, and in a balanced way mm-hmm. on your website or through your content, those people are going to trust you and feel better about you than somebody else. And And we often talk about this idea of, Identifying the problems that you solve, and you also talk about you know we, we, there's there's a lot of marketing buzz about personas, and you also talk about this this concept of anti-personas
1: and mm-hmm. who's not yeah. the
0: right fit for you. So
1: talk a little yeah. bit about that. Well, this is it's a really great point, Ian, and one of the major subjects that we like to talk about with content with our clients is the issue of negatives and problems. Now, negatives and problems generally aren't a negative and generally aren't a problem. But let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. And so one of the questions I used to always get from people was when I was a pool guy was, so Marcus, tell me, what are the potential problems and issues with the fiberglass pool? And most companies, like no swimming pool company wanted to address that on their website because, you know, they were saying, this is an elephant. We can't address it. But the smartest companies today, they take the elephant in the room that's in the corner. They bring it to the front door so that when the customer opens the front door, they see the elephant. And you say as the business, this is our elephant. Are there any issues with our elephant? So in other words, how do you do that with a, let's say a fiberglass pool? You say, we understand here at Riverpools that fiberglass pools aren't for everybody. In fact, sometimes concrete might be the better option, so what this article or what this video is going to do it 's going to show and explain to you the pros and the cons of both types of swimming pools that way you can decide which is the best choice for you or you can go even further in you might say, we understand that fiberglass pools are not a good fit for but for everyone and here 's why. You see, a fiberglass pool can't get longer than 40 feet, can't get wider than 16 feet, can't get deeper than eight feet, and can't customize it necessarily any way you want in terms of shape or size. And so if you're looking for a pool that is longer than 40 or wider than 16 or super customized in terms of shape, fiberglass might not be the best choice for you. Now, of course, in that, Ian, you would talk who it is a good fit for, but from a psychological perspective... It's more important that a company on their website explains who they're not a good fit for than who they are. And if they do that, they immediately become, as Seth Godin would say, a purple cow in the field. And they're very different. They come across as very honest. And that's just sound sales messaging 101.
0: Absolutely. And, and this whole idea of what scares most people is, well, I might scare off a potential client. And the thing we always have to remind, remind people of is, look, would you rather find out that <laughs> these people need an 18 foot wide uh, pool after you've spent four months trying to sell to them? Or would you rather know on day one? Because rest assured, if that's a showstopper forum, it's not like all of a sudden you're going to convince them that it's okay if they only had a 14 foot wide pool.
1: It's just not going to happen. So it's just not going to happen, and we're doing them a, a, a disservice anyway if we're trying to manipulate them at that point into something that clearly is not a good fit. And you talk about that and your stuff all the time, Ian. And that's yeah. why, that's why you know when you talk about your the reason why you and I aligned so much early on is you saw me speak, and I remember you came up to me and said, "Marcus, dude." We need to do something together. And I had people tell me that before. You know, you kind of have reservations when you hear that. I didn't know you. Then I saw you speak and I said, my goodness, because I know how you have that initial conversation with a prospect and you say, if, if we, we understand that generally speaking for over 50% of the people that contact us, we're not necessarily a good fit for them. Like I remember, you said that, and I was like, yeah. "Wow, wow, that's so powerful!" And that's the it's the principle of communication, and it's the same online or off. You were speaking the offline, I was speaking the online, but it's really neat to hear it from your perspective.
0: And it, and it all converges together. It all comes back to this notion of trust, and you know, we we you start you start to talk about the idea before of. Here are things that customers want to know, and I know you often refer to these as the big five, and we talked about oh, this gosh. idea of price or cost or salary. You also just yep. touched on this idea of the problems. So, yep. so for example, one of the most popular articles on, on my, my site for my content is an article that, that uh, I believe the title is Why Your Sales Training Will Fail. Mm-hmm. And it just talks yeah. about here here in essence the problems with sales trading and why a lot of them don't work, yep.
1: Yep. Yep. So those are the two. Um, number three is comparison-based questions. And so, for example, whenever anybody's going to buy anything or spend money and they want to compare what they are considering versus another thing, another option. So on a psychological level, we want to feel like, okay, I've at least done my due diligence and I sense that this thing is superior, right? And again, this is B2B or B2C. Sure. Uh, the fourth one is reviews. That's prolific. I mean, the number one phrase searched for your company, other than your company name, for over 90% of all companies is company name plus the word reviews. People want to know reviews. And it's not just reviews of your company, but it's reviews of your products, reviews of your services, your methodologies, your technologies, whatever that thing is. And then the fifth thing is that moves the needle is best questions. In other words, you know, if you're looking to go out to a new restaurant tonight and it's a Mexican restaurant, you might say you know, best restaurant – best Mexican re- restaurant, Washington, D.C. You don't search for the worst restaurant, Mexican restaurant in Washington, D.C. It's, it's not what you do. So we like to know what the best thing is. What's funny about it is we don't necessarily always buy the best thing, but we at least want to know what it is, Ian – so therefore, again, we can make the decision on a psychological level that I'm comfortable with this. that There's enough trust there, and I'm going to move forward with this thing.
0: Yep, I love it, love it. So, so we've got those five. We've got price, cost, and, and from an employment standpoint, salary. We've got the yeah. idea of the negatives or problems, and um, and then the comparisons, the reviews, and the best questions. Now, talking about the talking about the negatives or the problems. Um, oftentimes it gets people a little bit on edge to talk about those. So how can somebody frame the negatives in a way that isn't going to petrify their entire company to talk about these? And you talk a little bit about this idea of you take your elephant and put it out there. But what are the keys to doing that in a way that doesn't make people freak out? Because you and I both talk about this idea of disarming and yeah. and I know this is an area that every time you or I talk to a client about it and say, so you gotta talk about what are the problems associated with cloud hosting? What are the yeah. what are the problems associated with outsourcing to an accounting firm? And people say, Oh, why I don't want to raise those. So why shouldn't people be afraid to cover those mm-hmm. topics?
1: Well, I think a lot of this this concept of getting by in Ian, as you all well know, generally you're going to get resistance if they don't understand the, the core foundation of the teaching, of the principle. There's a reason why you go in and teach workshops. Because if you just sent out a memo to your clients, to their sales team, of the word for word of your workshop, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it. They would resist it. They have to hear it. And experience the thing and talk about it to say, oh, oh, I get it. And this is why you do so many role plays with clients. For me, it's the same thing. If a sales team is going to be willing for the marketing department, and of course the sales team is going to help, talk about these things, talk about the elephants and turn them into an advantage, they first have to understand it, which is why they've got to understand the what, the how, and the why. Simon Sinek, right? And it's usually done in a workshop format. You've got to help them see themselves how they want to be treated online, how they research things, what makes them say, I trust this company, versus something doesn't smell right here. <laughs> I don't feel good about this product. I don't feel good about this person. I don't feel. Because we've all got this BS meter, especially when it comes to the way we shop online. We sense when companies are being dishonest. Especially with their copy and disarmament or disarming is the process of getting the elephants out of the way so that the person, instead of leaning back and doubting you with their arms crossed, leans in and opens up and says, huh, which is why, like I said earlier, you would say something like – so like if I'm going to write an article or do a video on the difference between concrete and fiberglass pools, and I only sell fiberglass and I don't sell concrete, the unfortunate thing is most companies are really just going to like hyper-focus on fiberglass. They're only going to talk about why it's so awesome, and they're going to immediately lose the audience, and everybody that's reading it or watching is going to sense it immediately. Which So you've got to get rid of your elephants fast got to come right out and say people ask us this question all the time and we want you to know first and foremost here at Riverpools we only do fiberglass so you got to get that out of the way you got to own it yep and we also understand that fiberglass isn't necessarily the best fit for everyone that contacts us again another elephant is now removed it's out of the way third th- third elephant Furthermore, we understand that concrete sometimes is the better option. You see, so we've removed all these elephants. The person continues to lean in more and more and more as you're, as you're saying this. And then finally, you're able to say, and so now what we're going to do today is we're going to show you, we're going to teach you the pros and the cons of both pools. That way you can make a decision as to which is the best choice for you. And ultimately, everybody wants to feel like they're in the driver's seat. And that it's on their terms, and that's the essence of disarming. you get rid of the elephants, they lean in, and then they're able to trust you and listen to what you're saying
0: yeah and I want to make sure that people are really capturing that 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 notion and it sounds for a lot of people counterintuitive it sounds <laughs> like well i don't want to talk about the negatives, for example, with my clients i'll often say if you don't if you don't have a plan to reinforce the concepts that you want me to come teach to your organization then Your behaviors will not change and whatever you spend will be a waste. So if you don't have a plan and if you're not willing to reinforce these concepts on a regular basis with your team, then don't invest the money to have me come in and work with your team because you're not going to get the results and I don't want to have people who spend money with me and don't get results. And and, and I've had people say, oh, wow, that's I love that as a sales strategy. So when can we have you come in? And I'll say, what's your plan to reinforce this? Because if you don't have it, this wasn't just lip service. I'm not coming in if we don't have a plan to make sure you're going to get results. That's right. And, That's and, right. It's, and it's a tough thing. So I know in the book you cover kind of the one thing that all businesses should do. And so spill the beans a little bit. What do, what do you talk about in the book?
1: Well, this goes back uh, I think there's a, there's a simple strategy that really can revolutionize your company if you do it the right way. and I've experienced this with, with customers. Uh, Carmax was, was the example that I use in the books in the book. but you know, Carmax said, "What are the fears? Why don't they trust us?" They listed them all out, and then they said, "Is it possible to overcome each one? Is it possible?" And so, you know, the fears of buying a used car is, well, it's going to be a lemon. I might not like it after the fact. Am I going to get a good price value? See, These are all the fears, right? And so they said, is it possible to eliminate the fear? And so this is a simple activity that everybody listening to this, if you do this, it's a great Q1 activity to do with your sales team, with your marketing team, and uh, boy, it can make a difference for 2017, and yeah, that and is this.
0: You know, this. Marcus, the, the way that you and I have done this together in workshops is is this notion because I want to make sure that people have it really actionable. And obviously in the book, you explain it in more detail. But the concept that you can share with people is this, is, okay, so let's think about 15 deals that we lost recently. And why did we lose them? What was, What was the big concern or fear that people had? So if we're targeting new accounts, why would somebody not do business with us versus somebody else? And by the way, it, oftentimes, it, what I love is that when you're dealing with companies of different sizes, the small company says, "Well, they won't deal with us because we're too small," and the big company says, "Well, they might not deal with us because we're too big." And it's like you know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, <laughs> and and it's like, look, you're both not right. It's just you know, who's a good fit for a company our size? That's if right. you address that on the website, people say, "Oh, you know what? Yeah." We can deal with, with working with someone like this. Or my favorite is when someone says, well, our company's too small. And they say, well, there's no way to overcome that. And I'll often say, okay, well, let's just ask your client this. Look, we're not the biggest company. Would that make you uncomfortable to do business with us? And then just <laughs> shut up. And they're either going to say – Well, yeah, kind of. Really, what are you most concerned about? And they'll tell you the two or three things that either you can address or you can't. So if they say, well, you know, our our board just won't be comfortable dealing with a company that's not a public company. And anytime we've tried to do that in the past, they've just, you know, said, no, we're not going to do it. Well, then you want to know that right up front.
1: Yeah. so, So let's say you have, yeah, this is really good stuff. So let's say you got five people in the room, all right? And each person, the first part is, like you said, What I usually say is, write down the top seven reasons why somebody would not buy from you, assuming they know you exist. In other words, why would they come to you and say, Ian, we like you, we really do, but we've decided to go a different direction. So there's a couple things that happens here. Number one, some people in the group will struggle. Sadly, oftentimes, the person that struggles the most is the CEO or the leadership team. The ones that struggle the least, sales team. Now, This is really scary because this list, this is your business. Your business rises and falls on the reasons why people would or would not buy from you, the things that they are saying. And so if a leader, especially a CEO, isn't in tune with this list and they're the ones that are directing where the company is headed, that's very, very scary. So if your sales team does this, you'll see that generally they do it very well. So that's the first part of the activity. The second part of the activity is once you've done the list, you as a group, you compare what you have. What's funny is sometimes you have very diverse lists. In other words, once I was with a group, Ian, it was like six of them. And I said, write down the top seven reasons why somebody wouldn't buy. And a couple of people chuckled like, yeah, we're all going to have the same thing. And out of like the six people were, that were in the room, we had over 20 unique answers. Yeah, Think about that. And so everybody was like stunned that that there was this array of fears and reasons why people didn't buy. And then the third thing that you do is you put a check mark next to each one that you've addressed already very well on your website. And usually out of seven, okay, if a person writes down seven, The average number, Ian, and I've done this with, at this point, thousands of people. The average number is two out of seven, two that they've addressed well out of the seven. Not muy bueno. And so the idea is that in 2017, you find a way to put a check mark next to each one, and I promise that will revolutionize the way people see you, the way you sell, and it's going to have a big impact on your business.
0: You know what? Absolutely brilliant. There are so many other topics I would love to cover, and so we're just going to have to have you back because I want to talk at some point about video, about you know all sorts of different ways to communicate, and after you're done with this book launch and the world is embracing They Ask, You Answer, which I am 100% confident they will, then we'll schedule you to come back and talk about video and broader communication because you are just a wealth of knowledge, my friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I really appreciate it, man. Look, the book is available on Amazon. You just go there and you type in they ask, you answer. It'll pop right up. If anybody that's listening to this, they have a question for me, you can just email me directly, Marcus at com, or find me on the Twitters at The Sales Line. Ian, you are the best. I respect you so much. I think you are the premier voice and, uh, and B2B sales today. And I just love you, buddy. So thank you uh, for having me on your show.
0: Dude, it's an honor to have you here. And uh, I just, um, I'm just so thrilled about the book. And listen, guys, run out, get this book. And if you don't like it, I'll buy it from you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marcus, be well. Man, I could talk to Marcus for days. He's got such amazing insight. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key things you can apply and use in your business right away. First, get your team together and create that list of seven reasons why someone would not do business with you. Compare those to one another and then identify which of those pieces are already covered on your website and you'll be surprised. The second key thing is remember what moves the needle for customers. It's Marcus's Big Five. It comes down to price, cost, or salary, negatives or problems, comparisons, reviews, or best of. If you follow that model for creating content, you'll attract the right clients to your business. I want to thank those of you who take the time to submit reviews on iTunes and share this with your colleagues. It really makes a difference. And remember, this show gets its direction from you. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show, if there's a topic you want me to cover, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.